Bita Daf Dalit. First mission established to us that an egg laid on Yontif is going to be Aser, Machlos between Beisham and Beisil. Shita's Beisil is that it is in fact Aser, with four different approaches in the Gemara in terms of why that should be. Rav Nachman says it's a function of Muksa. Rabba says it's an issue of Hachana. And then Rav Yosef, Rav Yitzchak, say that there are various Gzeras that the Chachamim made in terms of why the egg should be Aser. Regardless of what the reason is behind the Iser, uh, the uh, egg is going to be Aser for the duration of Yantav. Once Yantav is over, so the egg is in fact going to be Mutter. Which led us to Gemara's discussion that we had yesterday, that the egg falls under the category of a Davashesh Lamatirim, which is a topic we're going to come back to a little bit later on in today's Daf. Gemara quoted a Brisa, yesterday's Daf, describing the, uh, the concept of the egg being Muksa, and the Brisa made two other points as well. Bryce on Gimel Amid Bey is halfway down in the Amud, says that the Suffolk Beitza is also going to be Aser. Now presumably Suffolk means that it is Suffolk whether it was born on Yantav, whether it was late on Yantav or before Yantav. And then the Bryce ends off with Tarov and said, if I have this egg mixed in with a thousand other eggs, it's all going to be Aser. Gamara attempted to explain the Bryce and the, the, the difficulty that arise in the explanation of the Bryce is predicated on the fact that it says that a suffix is going to be also if in fact we're talking about an Isser de Rabbanan, which according to the third and the fourth Shita, it is in fact an Isser de Rabbanan. So then that means to say that we're going to be being machmer on a suffix Isser de Rabbanan. And that of course would be very difficult. Gemara therefore contends that if you're going to defend the positions of Rav Yosef and Rav Yitzchak, what you have to do is you have to reinterpret the Bryson. When the Bryson says that it's a suffix, it's actually talking about a suffix trefa, entirely different suffix. And that is, is that the mother that, that laid the egg is in fact possibly a trefa. So now the egg itself is going to be a, uh, a, a, a result, a product of a trefa, or at least potentially a trefa. That of course is an isidoraisa, and now that certainly makes sense within the brisa. The, the next problem that we, that we encountered is if in fact we're talking about a suffix trefa, well, the end of the Brysa talks about a Tarovis. If it gets mixed up with a thousand other eggs, so there's not going to be Bittal. If what we had thought originally is that we were talking about a Suffolk on Muksa or a Suffolk on Nolad, well, that makes sense. It's a Davashesh Lomatirin. And we're going to be Machmer by Davashesh Lomatirin because there is not going to be Bittal by Davashesh Lomatirin as we established in yesterday's Daf. But if, in fact, we're talking about a Suffolk Trefa, it is not a Davashesh Lomatirin and therefore it should be subject to Bittal. So to that, the Gemara proposed yesterday an answer that maybe, in fact, it is a Suffolk Trefa, and it is not a Dover Sheshlamatirin, and still there would not be Bittal because it's a Dover Chashev. Eggs are a Dover Chashev. And what the Gemara tried to discover is to, in terms of whether or not we can actually assign the status of a Dover Chashev to an egg. Now, in order for something to be a Dover Chashev, so there are a couple of ways to gauge whether an item is a Dover Chashev. The way we were trying to gauge it yesterday in terms of whether or not it's a Dover Shebeminyan. When eggs are sold, even though they're not always sold by count, nowadays they are, but back in the time of the Gemara they were not, since they were generally sold by count, is that enough for it to be considered a Davosh minion, something which is sold by count, and therefore is it considered a Davosh Hashav? That's what we were trying to, to locate yesterday, and we struggled. The Gemara struggled yesterday to identify whether or not there is any kind of Tana that would subscribe to that viewpoint. It comes out that there was a Mishnah that we saw in Arla, in the third parak of Arla, and according to Reb Shimon Malakish's interpretation of the Mishnah, we did uncover a Tana who says that a Dover Shebe Minyan, even though it's not always sold by count, but as, as long as most of the time it's sold by count, it is considered Dover Chashev, and therefore impervious to Bittal. Uh, the Gemara noted, however, that that's not Rabbi Yochanan's reading of the Mishnah, and that left us still in a bind. Amar of Papa, so picking it up right where we left off, Yesterday, so the Gemara now is going to introduce us to not another approach, but we're gonna we are gonna identify Tana who says that if it's a Dover Shibaminyan, that even though it's not always counted, but it's generally counted and sold by count, it's gonna be considered a Dover Chashev and therefore not subject to Bittal. And the Gemara now cites the Brysa. Amra Papa, hi Tana, Tana de Litrikitsiosu. So we're gonna look at a Brysa of Litrikitsios. Now the Gemara already tells us the punchline, which is, is that when we get to the end of this b'risa, we are going to discover that there is an opinion out there that when it's a Dovashim Minyan, even though it's not always sold by count, 
But as long as most of the time it's sold by count, and even though that we're not even talking about Nisad Darabanan, so we're only talking about Nisad Darabanan, still there's not going to be Bittal. That's going to be the end of the Brisa. Now the Gemara quotes the beginning of this Brisa, and that is as follows. Now the Brisa over here is going to be dealing with the following. We're talking about uh, pressed figs that are going to be put into this uh, large container. It's going to be either a barrel or some other uh, some other container. And they're mixed into this barrel of figs. It's going to be a little bit of truma figs. Now we know that in order for there to be bitto by truma, so the ratio has to be 1 to 100. So the Bryson now is going to go over a particular scenario and a machlokis, whether or not there's going to be bitto. Uh, this Bryson is going to be complicated by the fact that it's a machlokis tanaim, and then another machlokis tanaim in terms of how to frame the first machlokis tanaim. So it's a machlokis within a machlokis, and the Gemara starts off. If I have, let's say, a little bit of truma figs that were placed on the mouth of the jar. So that means to say that we know for sure that the fig, the truma figs, was somewhere on the top of the jar, not in the jar. Whatever the container may be. So Rameir Omer, so this is now Rameir's presentation of the Machlokas. Rameir is a later generation Tana, and here it comes to explain what the earlier Tanaim are, are, are holding. So according to Rameir, Amar Rebelazar, so as we now turn to the top of Dalamat Aleph, uh, Omer, Ronas Alyonas Ki'ilohain Prudos, Vatachtonas Ma'alosas Alyonas. So what we're going to do is that we're going to say that all the figs in the barrel are going to be used for the purposes of Bittal, meaning even though we know that the Truma fig is on the top of the barrel. Nevertheless, we can use all the figs within the barrel in order to affect bittol. Uh, the uh, despite the fact that we know that there is no suffix on the figs that are in the, cent- the center of the barrel and the bottom of the barrel. Nevertheless, since over here we're dealing with an iser derabanan, so we get to be makel uh, even in terms of how to calculate bittol. That's the way Rashi seems to present it over here. Uh, not a parenthetical note, an important note over here. Why is it only an iser derabanan if we're talking about truma? So Rashi says, because since it is figs, figs are not chayv and chumas and maizos min ha-Torah, according to Rashi. Rashi says this consistently throughout Shas. Uh, the only fruits that are chayv and chumas and maizos min ha-Torah are only going to be grapes, olives, and the five grains. So since it's only an Isidur Abundance, so therefore, according to Rebbe Eliezer, as presented by Rebbe Meir, so we could be exceptionally makel over here, even in terms of calculation of bittol. Now, according to Rabbi Yoshua, no. Since we know that the truma fig is towards the top, it's on the top, so therefore, if there are a hundred other barrels over there, and they all have non-truma, so then we'll, uh, we'll, we'll allow for bittol. Otherwise, we won't allow for bittol. Meaning that we can't use the figs in the rest of the barrel since we know that there is no suffix by the figs in the middle or in the bottom of the barrel. So therefore, the only way that we can affect bittol is only if there are a hundred other barrels with, um, with, 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 the, with them filled to the top with figs. So then we have a tarovis of 100 to 1. Rabbi Yehuda Amir, that is all the shita of Rabbi Meir. That's Rabbi Meir's presentation of the Machlokas. Then we get to Rabbi Yehuda, and quite frankly, as far as what we want to gain from all this, we're going to be focusing on the shita of Rabbi Yehuda. Rabbi Yehuda Amir, Rabbi Eliezer, Mem Yesham, Mea Pumim Yaluvim, Lava Pumim Masurim Vaha, Shulai Mutarim. So the way that Rabbi Yehuda presents it is that according to Rabbi Eliezer, it's exactly what we just said within the shita of Rabbi Yoshua. In other words, Rabbi Eliezer now takes on the role of Rabbi Yoshua, which is, is that we can't calculate the figs that are in the middle or in the bottom of the barrel. We can only calculate the figs on the top of the barrel. And again, if I have a hundred other barrels with figs, so then there's going to be bittal. Otherwise, there will not be bittal. And Rabbi Yoshua, and according to the sheet of Rabbi Yoshua, even if there are 300 barrels over there, so there's not going to be bittal. Now that's the shita that we want to focus on because it comes out now that we do find a shita that since these figs are sold by count, so therefore, there is not going to be bittol. There's never going to be bittol. The example over here of 300 is just simply a, a, an expression of there's never going to be bittol. Then the Bryce ends off the, the uh, somewhat somewhat oddly. If you press the truma fig somewhere into the barrel, but you don't know where, so everyone's going to agree that there's not going to, that, that there will be bittol. So the Gemara says, wait one second. How could you say everyone agrees? We just went over that there's a machlokas. 
So Amar Papa, Hachi Kamar Papa says, okay, this is Pshat. Darsa be'igol ve'enu yodeh be'ezha makom be'igol darsa. So let's say you put the fig in the barrel, but we don't know where in the barrel the fig went. So now there's a real possibility that the struma fig could be anywhere within the barrel. Oletzvon, Oledrama, north or south, Gevrihakol Yalu. Now that we don't know where the fig is, so under those circumstances, now the, all the contents of the barrel could be applied towards Bittel, calculated for the purposes of Bittel, and therefore, if in fact there's 100 to 1, so then there is in fact going to be Bittel. Good. The whole purpose of, of citing that Brisa is just to focus on one Shita, and that was the last Shita that we saw. That was Rav Yehuda's version of the Machloka, specifically the uh, Rav Yehoshua's Shita, as presented by Rav Yehuda, because it's a Devish of Minyan, even though it's not always sold by count, but since it's most of the time sold by count, so therefore Bittu will not be affected. Bittu will be blocked. And that's only talking about Nisad Rabbanan. So if Bittu is going to be blocked by Nisad Rabbanan by a Devish of Minyan, so for sure it'd be true by Nisad Rabbanan as well. Ad Khan. That takes us now to the end of that approach. Now, Rav Ashi Amar Olam Safik Yom Tov Safik Chol. Rav Ashi says, let's go all the way back to the Brisa. Now, in the Brisa, when the Brisa presented the case of a Suffolk Beitza, so at first we thought that it was Suffolk Yom Suffolk Chol, meaning it was a Suffolk Amuksa. But then the Gemara says, but that can't be, because if it really were a Suffolk Amuksa, so then why would we be, why would be Machmir by a Suffolk Muksa? It's a Suffolk Amnadurabanan. That was our question. And because of that, we abandoned the approach of Suffolk Muksa, Muksa, and we went to an approach of, of a, uh, of Suffolk Trefa. But what Ravashi says is, let's go back to what we originally thought. And Ravashi says, I would like to present it. That is, in fact, a case of Suffolk Muksa, and we could still understand the Brisa. How could it be a case of Suffolk Muksa, and we'd still understand the Brisa? Because over here it's Davashesh Lomatirin, and because it's Davashesh Lomatirin, so even on Adin de Rabbanan, there's not going to be Bittal. And what, what Ravashi is saying is the following. In yesterday's daf, we introduced the idea of Davishesh Lomatirin, and let's go over Rashi's presentation, Davishesh Lomatirin. It's a temporary Isser. And Ashitochlenu Be Isser Tochlenu Beheter. And in yesterday's daf, we said, look, there's no reason why you have to be eating it now in a state of Isser. Now, when I say state of Isser, meaning despite the fact that Bittal occurred, but still, Bittal acknowledges that there's Isser over there. So, so before getting to the point of having to rely on Bittal, why don't we just simply wait a day? Because after Yantav is over, it's going to become Hetogamor. So, Davashesh Lomatirin will, uh, would, would prevent and stop Bittal. What the Gemara now is saying now, what Ravashi is saying now, is that not only is Davashesh Lomatirin going to prevent Bittal, Davashesh Lomatirin will, will force us to be Machmer even on a Suffolk, even on a Suffolk de Rabbanan. Meaning, despite the fact that it's a din de Rabbanan, it's an Issa de Rabbanan, and despite the fact that it's a Suffolk, but because it's a Davashesh Lomatirin, all we need to do is wait a day, so we don't have to even rely on the Suffolk de Rabbanan. Meaning, tomorrow it's going to be Hetogamor, so much like Davashesh Lomatirin told us to wait and not rely on Bittol, Davashesh Lomatirin is also going to tell us to wait and not rely on Suffolk. That's the Chiddush of Ravashi, and so it comes out now that Davashesh Lomatirin is both going to be a preventative of Bittol, and a preventative also on a case of a Suffolk de Rabbanan. We have now concluded the Brisa of, from Gimel Medbeis, and we gave a number of ways of how to explain the Brisa. Tanya, uh, the Gemara now is going to be quoting a Brisa. So here in the Brisa, the Gemara quotes the sheet to Rabbi Eliezer that you're allowed to eat Obviously, Rabbi Eliezer over here is subscribing to the sheet of Beisham of our Mishnah. Shouldn't come as a total surprise. Rabbi Eliezer does take on shitas of Beishami. In fact, one of the ways that Rabbi Eliezer is described throughout the Gemara is the Shemuti, and uh, and one of the pshatim of Tosfos is that Shemuti because he's a, he's a, he's a Talmud of Shammai. Okay, could and if in fact that's that's accurate over here, it certainly explains how it is that he's subscribing to the shita of Beishami. But regardless, the uh, the Bryce over here says. That you're allowed to eat the egg, he vi'ima, the egg and its mother. And the Gemara right now is just seeking to understand that extra language of the Brisa. So, we're talking about a chicken that was meant to be eaten, shita. So, then there's a Devapasha. Why do I need a Brisa to teach me that you're allowed to eat the mother and its, and, and its egg if, in fact, it is, some, if it is in fact a, 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 a bird that we planned on eating over Yantav? It's a Devapasha. So it must be that we're talking about the mother was set aside for egg laying. 
So So then the conclusion should be that both the hen and its egg should be usur. We know, as Rashi points out over here, that Rabbi Lazar does in fact subscribe to Muxo, once the mother's Muxo. So presumably the resulting egg that comes out also is going to be Muxo. And so uh, the uh, so the Bryce then of course makes no sense. So I'm Rabbi Zera Tocha Agav Ima. So Rabbi Zera offers a shot in the Brisa, and that is, is that you can eat the egg together with its mother. Uh, meaning, Hechidami, the Gemara says, some better clarification of what exactly that means. I'm Rabbi Kigon. Shalachastam. So what you did is when you bought the hen, you did not designate what the hen is going to be. Is it going to be for eating or is it going to be for egg laying? And so now we're in the state of Stam. So now what's going to be the determinant? So if you didn't designate it verbally, so the actions are going to be the determinant. So Nishchata, if in fact you shech the hen, so that clearly meant that it was for Achila. And if you didn't shech the So then that means that it was clearly intent on used for, the, the hen was clearly intent on used for hen, for egg laying. And so, that is a possible shot in the Braisa, when it says, he ve'ima, meaning we're going to be establishing what the status of the egg is based on our actions towards the mother. Uh, right? For sure, the Gemara needs a more clarification over here in terms of when exactly did you shecht or not shecht the hen, and, and, and when exactly is that going to give voice to what the previous designation of the hen was, there's much more to explore over here, but we're going to go on. Rav Mari Amar uh, Guzma. Rav Mari says, I'll give a very simple shot in the Brisa, and that is is that we are right now overanalyzing the Brisa. Now, that's a, that's a funny sentence, because throughout Gemara, throughout Chas, that's what we do. We, 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 we read the Mishnahs and we read the Brisa super critically. Extra words are meant to be, uh, are, are, are meant to teach us Chidushim. And over here, Rav Mari says that the best way to read this Brisa is just simply, the Brisa is speaking in somewhat uh, hyperbolic terms. So, Katani, the Tanya, the Gemara says, and I'll, and I'll, I'll prove the point. Because I'll show you a very similar b'risa. The b'risa over here, this next b'risa starts exactly the same. And that is, Okay, so you're allowed to eat a, a, an egg together with its mother who gave birth to it. And you're also allowed to eat a chick in its klipa, in its shell. Obviously, we're talking about a fertilized egg. And not only is it fertilized, but there's a chick inside of it. And you're allowed to eat a chick inside the egg. Now, my klipa, so elam, a klipa mamish, so klipa basa chilahi. Now, when, when, when the Bryson says you're allowed to eat the shell, no one's eating the shell. So, ela afroch bi klipa so. So, it obviously means that you're allowed to eat a chick in its shell. So, adkan lo pligi rabban alad rabbi alaz ben yakov ela hechadi asa So, yes, there's going to be a debate. We're going to be exploring this debate a couple of days from now in Davav. So, we'll wait then until we see the machlokas, but that's only after emergence. But before emergence, low pligi. There is no debate. So in other words, you're allowed to eat that chick. So ella afroch viklipaso. Guzma. So when it says afroch and klipaso, what it just simply means is it's an exaggeration. Meaning you're allowed to eat the chick, you're allowed to eat the shell. It didn't mean you're actually eating the shell. It's just simply, it's a hyperbole. It just simply means you're allowed to eat everything. So akhanami tochal hi viima guzma. So when the Brysa says at the beginning that you're allowed to eat the egg and its mother, it just simply means it's all mutter. Okay. So uh, after having quoted the Brysa and, and uh, after having thought that the word ima is superfluous, so either we could, uh, we could say a chiddush, that was the first approach of the Gemara, Rabbi Zera's approach, or we could just simply say that the Brysa over here was speaking in a somewhat, in a somewhat more exaggerated fashion. Itmar. Dalam and Aleph, two-thirds of the way down. Gemara begins now some fundamental discussions in terms of the nature of a Shabbos followed immediately by Yantiv. Uh, we are then going to explore a little bit later on a two-day Yantiv. And then at the end of today's daf, more, more probably in tomorrow's daf, uh, the Gemara is going to explore two days of Rosh Hashanah. Itmar Shabbos v'yantiv. So we are now going to look at a Shabbos and Yantiv where they are back-to-back. Rav Amarnoda Bezeser Bezeser. Rav is at an egg laid on day number one. Is going to be Asr on the, on the next day. Doesn't matter which is day one, which is day two. If you have Shabbos and Yantav where they are contiguous back to back one to another and you have the egg laid on day one, it will be Asr on day number two according to Rav. Rav Yochanan Amar the Bezem Mutar's Bezem. She does Rav Yochanan is that if an egg is laid on the first day, it will be Mutar on the next day. So, Nehemiah Rav. So, the Gemara now wants to give a Svar in terms of this Machlokas. So the first round of a svara suggests the Gemara is that according to Shitas Rav Kedusha Achasi, that Shabbos and Yantav can be viewed as, as one long day of Kedusha. 
Now, hopefully you remember back in Erevin, this was a discussion that the Gemara had at length in terms of the proper way to view Shabbos Yantav. Is it viewed as Kedusha Achas or is it viewed as Kedushas? There in Erevin, a lengthy discussion affecting whether or not you, you make one Erev uh, Tchum, you make a double Erev Tchum, whether you're allowed to make an Erev, a double Erev Tchum. Okay, it's back to Erevin, where we're not going to go over that, whole, that, uh, that entire discussion again. But for our purposes right now, what the Gemara is suggesting is that maybe for Shitas Rav, it's Kedusha Achas. The Gemara says, wait one second. So it happens to be that Rav says very clearly over there that we are going to be treating it like Shtei Kedushos. Shabbos and Yantav is not to be treated like Kedusha Achas, but rather like Shtei Kedushos. So this explanation of Rav is just simply incorrect. So the Gemara says, okay, the Machlokis is whether or not they subscribe to the Hachana of Rabbah. Rav Islei Hachana de Rabbah, Rav Yochanan Leislei Hachana de Rabbah. And it's just a question of whether or not they subscribe to the principle of Hachana. Rabbah's Hachana was introduced to us back on the first half of the Masechta, and the Gemara now is suggesting that this position of Rabbah is in fact going to be the very Nekudah Machlokis between Rav and Rav Yochanan. If I subscribe to Rabbah, that means that an egg, in order for it to be mutter, it has to be muhan from a weekday, from a yom chol. Over here, if it is laid on a yom kodesh, so the next day, it is not muhan from a yom chol. Therefore, it's going to be also. That's the sheet of Rav. On the other hand, Rav Yochanan does not subscribe to Rabbah. And so it comes out now that if you don't subscribe to Rabbah, it would be, fu- it would be mutter on day number two. Kid Tanai, the Gemara points out that this is in fact the machlokis Tanayim. No, the Bashab is tochel biyamtov. Um, no, the Bashab is tochel biyamtov. Biyamtov tochel Bashab. So according to the Tanakama, late on one day, you're allowed to eat the next day. And Rav Yehuda, Amrim, Yishum, Rabbi Eliezer, Adani, Machlokis, Shabbat Omrim, Tochel, Basil Omrim, Lo Tochel. So clearly what comes out over here is that this issue of whether or not you're allowed to eat it on day two, day two of a Shabbos Yantiv, is in fact a Machlokis Hat Tanayim. So it's a machlokes amrayim and a machlokes atonayim. Ush bezichne the rav adabava havulei hanach beitzim yom tov l'shabbos. And so the gemara now relates the following episode, where the balabas of rav adabava he was staying by somebody, and the balabas had eggs laid, and it happened to have been that it was a yom tov shabbos. Shabbos yom tov fell on a Friday. The next day, obviously, being shabbos, and now also lekame amrlei ma'u leatvino ha'ina vinichlinu lamachar. And so the Shiloh was a very simple Shiloh. He wanted to know whether or not he could roast it on Yantav for Shabbos, meaning to eat it on Yantav itself so that you can't do. Meaning that is Beitzah Shinolda. Beitzah Shinolda, we learned in our first Mishnah, is going to be Aser. Obviously, we go like Basil. So to eat it on Yantav itself, obviously, is out of the question. But to eat it from a... But, but to eat it the next day, so Machlok is between Rav and Rav Yochanan. However, he was asking, look, even if I do hold that you're allowed to eat the next day, can I at least roast it today on Yantiv? Obviously on Shabbos, you're not allowed to roast it. Can I at least roast it today on Yantiv in preparation for tomorrow? Amalei, so the answer is my datach, Rav Rav Yochanan, So the idea that you can eat the next day, so that sheet is Rav Yochanan, and I understand that. Normally we side like Rav Yochanan over that Rav. However, I feel Rav Yochanan lo kashari Rav Yochanan's allowance is only to eat it tomorrow. Uh, obviously, tomorrow being Shabbos, you're not allowed to cook it. You'll eat it raw. Avabi, you may love. But what you can't do today is that you can't do any preparation with it. Today, on Yantav itself, it is Muksa. And so, therefore, that's it. You're stuck with not being able to prepare today. The only first allowance that you're going to be able to eat is tomorrow. And because tomorrow Shabbos, you'll have to eat it raw. The Hatanya, the Gemara Quartz of Bryce, is supporting exactly this psak. Going back to the brisa that we quoted yesterday, and again, the brisa says unequivocally that the egg on the day that it's born on Yantif is going to be muksa, and you can't move it bechlal. Certainly, not you won't be able to roast it on that day. The Gemara tells a second story. Two versions of who exactly went to Rapapa, either the innkeeper or some, some other individual. So, So he had eggs. Um, sorry. Now, over here, uh, just different configuration. It was Shabbos Yomtov. The eggs were laid on Shabbos. So he says, can I eat them tomorrow? So over here, the question is a really simple question. And that is, do we pass like Rav or do we pass like Rav Yochanan? 
So he didn't want to do anything with it on Shabbos itself. It was late on Shabbos, and it's Muks on Shabbos. And so the only question that he had is, do we pass like Rav? Rav says, then no the bezeh, or bezeh, do we pass like Rav Yochanan? No the bezeh, mutars bezeh. Very straightforward. So Rav Papa, in his somewhat unusual maneuver, says, you know what? I'm not prepared to answer you today. Come back tomorrow, I'll answer you tomorrow. So, so the Gemara notes that Rav would not have any public discourse of halacha uh, because on Yantif, so he had a nice meal and he had nice, uh, nice wine that went along with the meal. He was somewhat inebriated. And so therefore, uh, under the influence, he can't pass in halacha. So, the, uh, so uh, whenever Rav on Yantif uh, sat down to have his meal, from that point going forward for the remainder of the day, so he wouldn't pass in the lacha, as he did not feel that he had a sharp enough mind to do so. Rav Papa basically took on the same minuk, and that's why Rav Papa said to the to the questioner, "Don't ask me now. Come back tomorrow, and tomorrow I will be totally clear headed, and I'll be able to answer you." And so now, when the Shoah, when the when the questioner came over to Rav Papa the next day, so Rav Papa made the following statement: "We are at the very top of Dalman Bay's." So, oh, am I so happy that I did not answer the question yesterday because had I done so, I would have forgotten. Because I just would have said robotically that we know that when there's a machlok between Rav and Rav Yochan, we pass like Rav Yochanan, and that's what I would have told you. So, this just happens to be an exception. We have a Kabbalah through Rava that there are three exceptions to that rule. We don't pass like Rav Yochan, but rather we pass like Rav. This being one of the three exceptions, and so therefore, the correct halacha over here is that we're going to go like Rav of no the bezeh or bezeh. Okay, so 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 Rav Papa was very happy over the fact that he did in fact delay and wait to answer him. So now he gave the correct psak, which is not the psak that he would have given had he been uh, offering the psak one day earlier. I'm Rav Yochanan. The Gemara continues. Eitzim shenishrum and adekal b'shabes also lasikam yomtov. So Rav Yochanan offers the following psak. Now remember, we just learned moments earlier that according to Rav Yochanan, no the bezeh muteres bezeh. That when the egg is laid on day one, which, which whichever it is, Shabbos Yantiv. So if the egg is laid on day one, so you are allowed to enjoy it the next day. It's only muktzah for the first day, not for the second day. That sheet is Rav Yochanan. So even though that sheet is Rav Yochanan, but if the wood is laid on the first day, now wood of course is not being laid on the first day, but it falls off the tree of the uh, on the first day. But it's the same basic idea. Meaning that according to Rav Yochanan, it is going to be muksa for the duration of that day. So you would therefore think that if the next day, let's say for example, is Yantiv, you would in fact be allowed to use that wood on Yantiv. So here Rav Yochanan offers a psak and he says, you're not allowed to use it the next day if the next day is in fact Yantiv. Now, that goes directly opposed to the psak that he offered regarding Beitzah. And that's exactly what the Gemara says, Beitzah. Don't come at me with Beitzah. I understand that the cases are very similar. I understand that I'm not offering a consistent psak in the two. But he goes on to explain why. So when it comes to an egg, what is what, what, what would happen now on day number one when the egg is laid? And you say to somebody, you can't eat it. So their assumption is, oh, you can't eat it because it's muksa, meaning we could eat it on the first day, even if it were Shabbos, for example. But you still could eat it. In other words, you'll eat it raw. It's possible. And when the psak is rendered that you're not allowed to eat it, so the correct conclusion will be because it's muksa. Okay. However, but let's say the wood which falls off a tree off a tree on day one, let's say day one is Shabbos. And now you go over to the Rav and you say to the Rav, no, what, can, I, can I use the wood? And he says no. So you'll of course think to yourself, this has nothing to do with muksa. It has to do with the fact that it's Shabbos. Meaning on Shabbos you can make no usage of that wood whatsoever. So So if now somebody says that you can't use it today, but you, you, you can use it tomorrow. And so therefore the conclusion, erroneous as it may be, but the conclusion is, is that the only reason why I'm allowed to use it the next day is simply because I couldn't use it the first day because it was Shabbos. Having nothing to do with the fact that the wood itself is moksa. And therefore, the person's going to erroneously conclude that the wood that is laid on day one is not inherently moksa. It just happens to be a Shabbos issue. And so, unlike Beitzah, where 
No one's going to arrive at that erroneous conclusion, but by would, a person would arrive at that erroneous conclusion, and therefore Rav Yochanan is in fact going to be more machmer with the wood that falls off the tree on Shabbos, where not only can you, of course, not use it on that day, but you can't use it for the next day as well. Or if I have wood that falls off of a tree into an oven, and this occurred on Yantavim, now the wood that fell off the tree that fell into the oven, so that obviously is Moksa. And you're not allowed to be Mishtamish Moksa. But over here, the Gemara offers an unbelievably interesting heter, and that is, is that you could take non-Moksa wood, otherwise known as Muchan wood, and you could put it into the oven and create a majority of the Muchan wood over that of the Moksa wood. And what you have over here now is going to be Bito. So the Gemara says, wait one second, two questions. Number one, When you are mixing around the woods together, are you not handling the moksa wood that fell in first? And isn't that going to be a problem of tiltal moksa? So the Gemara says, no. So to that, the Gemara's response is, no. Once you threw in the muchan wood and it represents a majority, so at that point in time, we have now a majority of, 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 of a heter wood. So, so when you're big mahapech, the whole tarovis is going to give, be given the status of heterwood. So the Gemara asked the question, wait one second, you're taking Yisra and you're being mevatal biyadayim. The whole parsha, the whole Torah of Bittal is that if you have a mixture of Yisra v'heter, and if it happens to be that the heter exceeds that of the Yisra, so then there's going to be Bittal. But you cannot create Bittal biyadayim. You can't create a scenario of Bito. It's a beferish Mishnah. One is not allowed to create Bito, ideally. Only Bidiyevit, only post facto, is Bito going to be allowed. So the Gemara says, so how could you do that over here? So with the Gemara's response, So the Gemara's response is that, yes, you can't be Mivatl Isser Biyadayim, but that's only by an Isser Daraisa. By an Isser Darabanan, one can create Bito. Now the Gemara says, wait one second, Ravashi Now Ravashi that we learned on the Amadalaf. Ravashi says that when it's a Davashal Matirin, so we're going to be Machmir. Not only are we going to be Machmir in that it's going to prevent Bittal, like we learned it, it, I'm sorry, it's going to prevent Suffolk like we learned on the Amadalaf, but like we learned in yesterday's Daf, it's also going to prevent Bittal as well. The Muksa wood obviously falls under the category of Davashal Matirin. It's only usher today. It won't be usher tomorrow. So if that's true, so then there should not be bito, even biyadaim, even if I add more heter than that of isser, but by davashay shalmatir, there's simply not going to be bito. To which the Gemara has an answer to this as well. Yes, that's true, but that's only when the isser is be'en. But over here, since the isser is burning up, so then it's going to be motor. Now, there is obviously a lot of explaining to do over here in terms of why should that be. In other words, we say that if it's a Davashesh Lamatirin, there's not going to be Bittal. Aye, so how could it be that even if I add more, there's going to be Bittal? So in this particular case, you're allowed to add more because this is only Nisad Darabanan, not Nisad Daraisa. I by by Davashesh Lamatirin, even when you do add more, there's not going to be Bittal. To that, the Gemara says, yeah, but since all of it's being burnt, so therefore it's not going to be a problem. Why isn't there going to be a problem just because it's burnt? So it, the, the Gemara really needs a lot more explanation over here. Rashi doesn't, Rashi Tosos, the, the, the Rishonim don't really provide the necessary amount of explanation so that we really understand it. But just, just I want to acknowledge that uh, as much as I can read and explain the Gemara, but simply fall short in terms of right now giving a, a, a good explanation of why that should be. Ad Khan, that brings us to the end of the, uh, uh, this next section of the Gemara that we just covered in terms of what happens when I have Shabbos and Yantav that are back-to-back one with another. How is it going to be viewed? What happens when you have an egg laid on day number one? Would it, in fact, be able to be used on day number two? Machlok's between Rav and Rav Yochanan. And the Gemara's conclusion is that although under normal circumstances we pass like Rav Yochanan, in this case, we are, in fact, going to be passing like Rav. Next big topic, Itmar. What happens when I have... Yantav Shein Shogalios, every Yantav outside of Eretz Yisrael. So there's not one, but it's two days of Yantav. So uh, just as a quick refresher, just as a quick recap, why should that be? So we know uh, that when they were Mekash HaChodesh, they did so up here uh, Witnesses would come see the new moon, to, uh, present that information to the Beisdin. 
based and based on the testimony of the witnesses, would in fact declare that the uh, that this is a new month. When is that declaration going to be made? So there's one of two possible days in which can serve as candidacy for the new month. It's either going to be the thirtieth or the thirty-first day of the previous month. So uh, every month that you enter into, there are two viable days in which could be Rosh Chodesh, either day thirty or day thirty-one of the previous month. So whatever Basin declares, obviously, is in fact going to be Rosh Chodesh. Now, if there was a clear communication between Basin and the rest of the Jewish people, so then everything would be good. Basin would declare exactly when the new month was, and they would send that information uh, to, the, to, the, to the entire world. Unfortunately, back in the day, so communication was very tight, uh, and uh, they did not have as clear communication to everybody. For those who were unaware of when Rosh Chodesh was established by Beisdin, and even when the messages were sent out, they simply could not get word within enough time. Remember, both Sukkot and Pesach is 15 days after Rosh Chodesh, so there simply isn't going to be sufficient time for the communities living outside of Eretz Yisrael to receive this information. So as a result of that, so they didn't know which day was in fact Rosh Chodesh, which means they didn't know which day was the first day of Yantav. Therefore, they observed two days. So the original observance of two days was predicated on Suffolk. Now the Gemara is discussing, given all that as the background information, what happens when the egg is laid on the first day of Yantiv? Would I be allowed to eat it on Yantiv Sheni? Now, not to confuse this with our previous discussion. Our previous discussion is when we had Shabbos and Yantiv that were back to back. Now we're discussing what happens when I have a Yantiv Rishon and a Yantiv Sheni back to back. And, by the way, just let's set this up for tomorrow. Let's not confuse this with the case of two days Rosh Hashanah. Two days Rosh Hashanah is a different Shiloh, which we're going to open up within tomorrow's daf. But in the meantime, Yantav Sheni Shogalah. So if I have an egg laid on day one, what's the status on day two? So Rav Amar Nodabazeh Muteres Bazeh. And Ravasi Amar Nodabazeh Asur Bazeh. So here we have a machlok between Rav and Ravasi. Rav's position is, is that if it's laid on day one, it would be Mutter on day number two. Now this position of Rav just compare it and contrast it to what Rav said in the previous Machlokas. When I had Shabbos and Yantav back-to-back, so Nolda Bezeh, according to Rav, is a Surah Bezeh. Over here on Yantav Sheni, Nolda Bezeh is Muteres Bezeh. So obviously that needs an explanation. The Gemara provides an explanation. Lema Kasav Ravasi. But first we'll start off with the sheet of Ravasi. Ravasi, who's the Machmir over here? What's behind sheet of Ravasi? So perhaps as the Gemara Kedusha Achasi. So maybe Ravasi is looking at the two days of of Yantav Sheni, Yantav Reni, Yantav Sheni, Rishon, Yantav Sheni, sorry, Yantav Rishon, Yantav Sheni, and maybe the way Ravasi is viewing it is as one continuous day. So the Gemara says, Ravasi, Mavdam, Yuma, Tavla, Chavre. So the Gemara says, yeah, but Ravasi had the following practice, and that is he would make Havdalah between the first day of Yantav and the second day of Yantav. Now, admittedly, that's a little bit strange. Meaning, the second day of Yantav is still a Yantav. Why would he be making Havdalah? So as Rashi points out over here, because the second day of Yantav, despite the fact that it is a Yantav, simply does not have the same level of Kedusha as the first day. And any time there's going to be any drop-off of Kedusha, Havdalah is required. Right? When we go from Shabbos to Chol, we make Havdalah. When we go from Shabbos to Yantav, we make Havdalah. And so over here, Ravasi says, even if I'm going from Yantav Rishon to Yantav Sheni, because of even the smallest drop-off of Kedusha from Yantav Rishon to Yantav Sheni, so therefore it warrants Havdalah. Now, admittedly, that is extremely confusing to any observer, any casual observer who's watching him make Havdalah, and then the very next day still observe a Yantav, uh, a Yantav Sheni. Okay, but, but regardless, the point is, is that clearly Ravasi does not view this as one continuous day, because if he did, he certainly wouldn't be making Havdalah. So the Gemara says, okay, maybe we'll take a somewhat uh, middle approach, which is Ravasi Sepuki Misafkele, Vavele Maybe Ravasi was simply unsure, meaning maybe he really vacillated in terms of whether or not it's one continuous day of Kedusha Achas, and if in fact that's true, so then Nola Bezeh Sur Bezeh, on the other hand, maybe takes the position that they are two distinct days. Two distinct days where the first day has more Kedusha than the second day, and therefore he made Abdallah. That could be within the, that, that, that could be the total Shita of, of Ravasi. Am Rebizera Kavasa Derava Mestabra. Uh, Rabbi Zera says, the truth of the matter is, is that if I had to choose, which he does, which he is choosing, so he says, the truth of the matter is, is that Ravasi is making more sense over here. Why? Because nowadays, the calendar is fixed. 
meaning that sometime in the Tufa of the Amarayim, the Rambam says this was during the Tufa of Abayin Rava, so uh, the, the, they, um, they no longer established the month, al pi hariya, not on the testimony of the witnesses, but rather the Rosh Hashanah were established through a fixed calendar. And so uh, there was now from, a, from the middle of the Tkufa of the Amaram going onward and continuing to this very day, so the calendars were fixed. And still the Kavdinan Treyume, and we're still observing two days of Yantiv. What is that telling us? So it's telling us that if the issue, if, if we're observing them uh, through Torah Suffolk, so then the Suffolk is no longer there and we would only be observing one, not two. So we're not observing them through Torah Suffolk, but how are we obser- observing them? Through Torah Takana, through Torah Vadai. I don't really mean Vadai, but more like Takana. Meaning the Chachamim instituted that these two days are going to be observed. So since, the, since it's an institution that these two days are going to be observed, so that lends itself more to the Svara of Kedusha Achas. Therefore, Noda Bezeh, Asur Bezeh. That's the Shita Ravasi. So this is Rabbi, um, Rabbi Zera pointing to the Shita Ravasi and says, really, the truth of the matter is it makes more sense. That the way to, the way to properly view the two days of Yantav Rishon, Yantav Sheni, is that it's not Al-Safek, but it's Al-Takana. I'm Rabbi Kavasa to Rav Mistabra. Rav says, look, I'm sorry. Abai says, look, I really side more with Rav. Of no the Bezeh, Muteris Bezeh. How come? Because that now we're going to learn a Mishnah Rosh Hashanah, Rishonah, Yomasi, Masus. So the way that they originally sent communication uh, across great areas, great, uh, uh, a, a, a lengthy distance, um, even, even with no technology, uh, is that they would take fires and they would light them at the top of the mountaintops. Right? This, is their, this was their high-speed internet, if you will. And so by lighting from one mountaintop to another mountaintop, so this information was able to travel at great distances in a short amount of time. Now, when they had this method of communication, so it was fantastic because not only then did they establish Rosh Chosh, but were able to communicate and broadcast this information to people living really far away. And as Rashi points out over here, when the communication was up, so everyone then only observed one day of Yantav, having known exactly when Rosh Chosh was established. However, Misha Yotzim, so um, unfortunately, uh, you had uh, Jews who uh, Jews slash quasi Jews, however you want to describe Kusim over here. In other words, you had people who were antithetical to this idea and were just simply opposed to. Um, what, what, whatever their opposition was, Yiddishkeit, Rosh Chodesh, communication, whatever, whatever, whatever their issues were. So what they did is that they, they ruined, they, they, they ruined the form of communication. All right, the Gemara Rosh Hashanah describes how they lit the fire when it, when, the, when it wasn't, when it wasn't, uh, when Basin did not uh, announce Rosh Chodesh. Okay, anyway, they ruined the whole communication system. And so, uh, from that point going forward, so what did they then use? They used, um, uh, they used people, and, and, and people just simply walked out and, and, uh, and, and went as far as they could. Now, Now, the way Abai understands the mission of Rosh Hashanah is that once we, go, once, we, once we revert and go back to high-speed internet, if you will, in other words, the fire on the mountain method of communication, so then presumably what we would then do is that we would then revert to everybody who's receiving the communication, which ostensibly is there, uh, any and everybody, so we would revert back to one day. So, and wherever the Shulchan would go, would also observe one day. Meaning, the only reason why we're observing two days is Suffolk. But once the Suffolk has been resolved and alleviated, so then we would observe one day, and not two days. So this, would, was, this is a biased way of showing that we, it, seems to, it, it seems to be an extraordinarily strong indication that the Takana is not al-Takana, but rather it's, not, it's done al-Safik. And once the Suffolk is gone, so therefore it, it's, uh, it, it's, uh, it, it'll come back to one day. The point of all this is that the two days of Yantav is Mishum Safik, and therefore no the Bazaar, Muteris Bazaar. In other words, when, even when we're observing two, it is not that we're saying that both of them are Kaddish, we're saying that one of them is Kaddish, we just simply don't know which one. Ah, but if, one, if, if the egg is born on day one, so then it's going to be a mutter on day two, one of those days is not going to be Yantiv. Vehashta, uh, now the Gemara points out, okay, so with, within this explanation of Abai, within the Shita of Rav, 
So the Gemara says, Now, why do we observe two days of Yantiv? Now, previously, for Ravasi, the answer was is that that was built into the Takana. The Takana of two days Yantiv was just simply, that was exactly the Takana. But now the Gemara is under, uh, questioning within the sheet of Abaye, within the sheet of Rav, that the observance of the two days is al-Safik and not al-Takana. So why then, with a fixed calendar, are we in fact observing two days of Yantiv? So the Gemara says, Mishim Deshach Misam, because the Psak was issued from Eretz Yisrael, you have to be careful about Menegavasechem, meaning you have to maintain two days of Yantav, even, even though it's done al-Safik, and even though the calendar is fixed, but still, Menegavasechem, why do you have to observe two days of Yantav? So the Gemara says, Because being that we live in the Galas and we're under the domain of, uh, uh, of the non-Jews, so there can come a point in time where the non-Jews are just simply going to take away our ability to have autonomy, autonomy over the calendar. Rashi describes it over here as knowledge over the uh, the, the the ability of of the uh, of setting the calendar. Whatever the case is, in other words, we're living under the uh, uh, not under our own autonomy, but under the uh, uh, under whatever conditions are of our host country, and our host country may not be uh, sympathetic. And, and, and so therefore, we're going to observe a two-day yantiv because we just simply may lose our either ability or uh, knowledge base to preserve and to keep a fixed calendar. So, uh, so, for, so for that reason, we're going to be observing even to this day uh, a two-day yantiv. But mind you, of course, that this Q&A, this question and answer, only served to explain Abaye's uh, approach and Abaye's understanding of Rav, meaning within the Ravasi approach, so the question doesn't even get off the ground. Meaning, according to Ravasi, the reason why we observe two days of Yantav is because that's part of the Takana. Meaning, maybe it started as a suffix, but that's simply part of the Takana. Masha'enkin, according to, uh, according to Rav and according to Bai's understanding of Rav, where the observance of two days is al suffix, and once the suffix is gone, so there, there, then there's no need to observe a two day Yantav. So for that, the Gemara needed now another explanation, according to Rav, why it is that we're going to be observing a two day Yantav. And the Gemara's answer is, is because of Minagavasenu. Because we don't know how the, how our host countries are going to, are going to be towards us. And so we always have to be on high alert. And so therefore, we still maintain and preserve a two day Yantav, even though the, the suffix is no longer gone. It's Minagavasenu. Okay, uh, we're going to stop over here, and tomorrow we pick it up with two days of Rosh Hashanah. Um, the uh, quick uh, quick recap of the daf today, a lot of topics that were covered today. Number one, a conclusion of the b'risa. Why is the egg not subject to bittel? So if you maintain that the egg is uh, a suffix trefa, so then there should be bittel. The Gemara's response is that it's a davar chashav, it's a davar shebeminyan, therefore not subject to bittel. And it did take the Gemara uh, uh, some time to identify that time who says that it's a davar shebeminyan and anything sold by, sold sold by count, even if not exclusively by count, still is going to be considered a davar shebeminyan. Uh, the Gemara then offered another explanation of the brisa, going back to the approach of the brisa. It's not talking about a suffix trefa, but it's talking about suffix moksa. And if that's true, so that's a, it's a davar shishlomatirin. Ah, so so that the Gemara says that davar shishlomatirin is in fact. Not, not only not subject to Bittel, which is what we learned on Daf Gimel, but in today's Daf and Daf Dalid, we learned that it's not even subject to Suffolk. Meaning normally we'd be make up by Suffolk to Rabbanon, but if the Isser de Rabbanon is a temporary Isser, Dav Shishlomatirin, so then, Ad Shetochlenu Be Isser Tochlenu Beheter. So then wait even on the, on the Suffolk as well. Uh, the Gemara then quoted a couple of braces on, on Dalam and Aleph, and, and the Gemara seek to understand the, the Lushan of the Brisa, Rabbi Eliezer says they can eat the egg together with his mother. What exactly did, they, did Rabbi Eliezer mean by that? The Gemara gave two approaches. Okay. And then Adalam and Alf towards the bottom of the Amud. So the Gemara then went into a lengthy discussion the egg laid on day number one. Are you allowed to eat on day number two when days one and two are Shabbos Yantav? Doesn't matter with the order, whether Shabbos followed by Yantav, whether Yantav followed by Shabbos. So what would be the status of an egg laid on day one? Would it be Mutter on day number two? Machlob is between Rav and Rav Yochanan. Rav says, no, the bazet asura bazet. And Rav Yochan says, no, the bazet materas bazet. The Gemara's conclusion, as we turn to the Amid Beis in terms of the review, is that we paskin like Rav. Normally, Machlob's Rav and Rav Yochanan. We paskin like Rav Yochanan, but in this particular issue and area, we paskin like Rav. The no, the bazet is in fact asura bazet. Uh, the Gemara quotes a couple of halachas by Rav Yochanan. 
uh, wood that falls down from the tree on day one. So despite the fact that Rav Yochan was makel when it comes to egg, it's going to be machmer by wood. And the Gemara goes and explains the difference between the two. Uh, the Gemara quotes another halacha by Rav Masna, wood that falls into the oven on Yantif. So even though that wood is muksa, but what you could do is you could add more muchan wood, create bitol, even though the rule is aim of al over here you're allowed to. And even though it's a davashesh lamatirin, you're still allowed to add extra wood and still use it, the Gemara says, because the hana is only coming after it's burnt up. And I acknowledge while we're going through the daf, don't fully understand why that should be, but the Gemara, the Gemara makes the point really clearly. Then the next thing that we, do, that we covered, the last big topic for today, is what about two days of Yantav Shogalios? Right? Yom Rishon and Yom Sheni. So what would be Nolde Bezeh? So there Rav is a Mako. Rav says Nolde Bezeh is Muteres Bezeh. And Rav Asi says Nolde Bezeh is a Sura Bezeh. So the Gemara went and explained uh, both a Svara for Rav Asi and a Svara for Rav. For, for Rav. The Svara for Rav Asi is that the two days of Yantav Galos, even though it started because of Safek, nevertheless it moved into the realm of Takana. Meaning that the Chachamim were misaking that, that B'nai, the, the B'nai Galos have to observe two days of Yantif. And so therefore, since it's a Takana, so therefore the two days now become one continuum, and therefore Nolde Bezeh, Asura Bezeh. That would be the Shita Ravasi. On the other hand, Abai's explanation of Rav is that the two days of Yantif are not al Takana, but al Safik. In fact, he goes on so far to say that once the Suffolk is gone, and once the Suffolk's been relieved, so then you don't have to observe two days of Yantif. I with a fixed calendar, isn't the Suffolk gone? So the Gemara says, no. The uh, Eretz Yisrael sent a letter to the Bnei Bavo. He's Haru B'minag Avasechem. Meaning, even though you're not, even though, even within the Shita of Rav, that the two-day observance of Yantav Sheni is out Suffolk and not out Takana, but still, because of the, uh, because of the uncertainty of living in Galus, so therefore, the Bnei Eretz Yisrael told the Bnei Bavo, He's Haru you gotta be careful about the Minhagim, and you keep a two day Yantav, uh, even if, uh, even though it's still out Suffolk, but you never know what's gonna come regarding your ability to determine, determine the calendar, and so therefore, uh, instructions are, a two day Yantav still needs to be kept.